Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb, and we have nothing to talk about, so we just made up a bunch of nonsense. Well, I mean, how is that different from our usual process? I feel like we always are just making up, like, the random thing that no. somehow relates to magic. I mean, if you think about it, it's all nonsense, right? It's science, man. It's a combination of art and science. Okay. I guess so. I if mean, you, if, we got to feel good about what we that do. Way, so. If you don't think that way, you have yeah, you have no respect for what you do. And right. Well, sometimes that's true, but I and generally enjoy what I do. So whether it's actually useful or just feels useful to me, it really doesn't matter. Like as long as I'm here having a good time, as long as our listeners are entertained, that's what I'm really here for. Dude, that's that's what we're going for this week is pure entertainment. Maybe teach a little something along the way. Can can we throw in a lesson or two just to make it feel like they're really getting their their money's worth? Uh, we can try. I think if anyone takes anything away from this, it's maybe you have a new game to play or a new terrible TV show to watch or you sure. get some insight into us. Yeah, I like that. Those all seem like worthwhile pursuits. But we're also going to talk about magic a little bit. So mm-hmm. you are a big fan of lists, like Love top them. top end lists. And you wrote an article for uh, Star City Games this week. It's going to be free as of next Tuesday, which is, I can't do math, like the third or something, fourth. Yeah, fourth sounds about right to me. January 4th, it should be free. Fifth. I was way Fifth. off. Okay. Way off. <laughs> we tried. You know, every time we do math on this show, we just fail miserably. Dude, I don't even know what day it is. Anyway, bunch of bunch of top five lists, but you also went into the explanation of of why you enjoy top five lists or top n lists, or maybe not why, but like you know, just the the fact that you do and you don't really know why, and you just appreciate them, right? And that that whole setup and transition into your first top five was was just it was beautiful, man. It was great. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I uh, I was excited to write that article. And I, I think like, you know, we just did our cast with Emma a couple of weeks ago talking about the realities of content creation. And, and sometimes you're not excited to write your article. Sometimes you are. That's just the reality of producing content on a week-to-week basis. And I think when I have something I'm excited about, things like that shine a little bit more because you're just speaking about your experiences and from the heart. And it's you're not reaching at all. You're just like, I have this thing I really want to share with a bunch of people. And it just comes out very naturally, I think. Yeah. So the flip side of that is it forced me to make some top five lists of my own. Excellent. So I get even more top five lists. That was my goal with all of this is just turn <laughs> all discourse into top five lists. That's all I want all the time. It's kind of gas in that it it's they're they're good as long as you don't think about them too much. Right. You know? It's, it's like, the same as when we do like our top whatever cards from a new set and we bash our process the entire time and kind of laugh at ourselves because it's an inherently flawed process. It always will be. It doesn't mean there's nothing to be gained along the way though. You know what though? Check this out. I was thinking about it a lot and I think that going forward, we should do like top 10 rares and top five non-rares. Okay. I'm down for that. What motivated this change? So... My logic behind it was it's really boring when we do like a top 10 list and it's like 
heartless act is on the list or whatever. And it's yep. like, yeah, obviously the new push removal spell is going to be on the list, but that basically takes up a slot and everyone knows that that's like the new card. Right. right. And I want to talk about more of the interesting things. So I, I felt like if you shift it to rare and non rare, then the heartless acts and blood chiefs thirst and stuff like that can just go in like the other five pile. And then maybe there's like one or two cards where you're like, Oh, this is a sweet build around. Like I'm, I'm here for this. Yeah. I'm, the I'm curious to how, how deep it goes. Like, I, I don't know if five is going to be enough slots for non rares. Obviously it will always depend on the set, but you think back over like the past year and some of the cards that have mattered, certainly it's the ones that are at the highest rarities, stealing a lot of the headlines, Omnath, uh, Uro, but also you go back before that, there was Wilderness Reclamation and like you said, all the removal spells and stuff that always pop up at the uncommon slot. So I think depending on the set, you can make a real case that the non-rare stuff can outshine the rare stuff in some occasions. Some occasions, yeah. Well, so my my thought was that it would probably end up with like seven or eight interesting rares and then a couple cards that are just like rate monsters, right? Yeah. And then the non-rare stuff would kind of be the inverse of that so you're still talking about the wilderness reclamation like if you want to put it on your list or whatever another way to do it is maybe we just do like staples and like other you know build arounds interesting cards whatever yeah i you know i'm open for just cycling through every mode of doing these (laughs) these set introductions because we've tried so many at this point and like they're all fine none's None has failed us, I don't think, but also there's not really one that has stood out as the correct way to do the process. So I am down to just keep cycling through new ways to do it every time. Yeah, I mean, it might depend on the set too. I'm sure that there are going to be sets where it's like, oh yeah, there's five uncommon busted removal spells that should, in theory, take up our top 10 or something. Yep. And then there are going to be sets where it's like, yeah, the format has enough removal, so we just like didn't print any. Yeah, the so, timing probably matters a lot too. Like where in the format we are, how close we are to rotation. I, th- I think those things often change throughout the year uh, as far as a release schedule goes. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I was I was just thinking about that. And it's like, what if we could optimize our top lists? And that's one way of doing it. But for this, who cares? It's all kind of ridiculous. And we're not necessarily trying to, you know, give you the, the best information or whatever. This is stuff that is just like personalized to us. Right. However, uh, in the first list in your article, you did the top five Magic players of all time. And my list is the exact five in, nice. in, the, same, in the same order. Nice. That means we're, we're getting to a consensus place. And it would be hard to challenge the list. Go ahead and present it. I'll, I'll let you declare our joint top five of the greatest Magic players of all time. Number one, best Magic player of all time as of New Year's Eve 2020. Paulo Vitor Domitorosa. Yeah. Not close. Number two, John Finkel. Number three, Kai Buda. Number four, Luis Scott Vargas. Number five, Gabriel Massif. Yeah, and I, I said for me, this was this was the year where Paulo got to the top of my list. Uh, if that's, you had asked me last year. Yeah, see, that's that's nonsense. That doesn't I've, make any sense to me. Maybe, but. maybe true, but I, I wasn't alone in that. I think a lot of people, like, there's this inertia that comes with being declared the greatest of all time that sticks around maybe beyond where it should. And I think that a lot of it was based on just John's capability. Like he showed up for a tournament seemingly completely disengaged from magic and just crushed over and over and over. And it kept happening during the era where he was able to play on his hall of fame invites. And now that that's kind of shifted away, 
he's not showing up to everything. And it's disappointing because you obviously love to see him play. But at some point, like the person who is still actively engaged in an MPL member is going to surpass both the past accomplishments and the current accomplishments. And I, I do think this was the year that PV achieved that. I disagree. I, I think it's like the, the year he won Worlds or whatever. And that's why people are suddenly putting him in the conversation. But he, like I've said this before, like the day before Worlds and the day after. or Same player. Yeah. Same player. The yeah. day and it's before. Like, what, what are we his, evaluating even though? Are we saying like his results are the greatest of all time or him as a just person sitting down to play the game has a highest chance, higher chance of winning the game than anyone else who's ever played? I think it is just like overall talent and mastery at the game. So I don't care if for the last year, there is a person who has won every single match that they've played. If they've only been playing for a year, there's no way that I'm going to say that they are better than Finkel because their overall understanding of magic is not going to be greater than his. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Again, lists, all subjective, who cares, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, we ended up at the same place probably for different reasons, but it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, for me, the real interesting part of this was the bottom of the list and, and how I can see, certainly within the next few years, Luis and Gabriel Nassif making a good case for climbing even further on the list because they are like – Pretty plugged in. Nassif, obviously, MPL, so he's plugged as plugged in as you could possibly be. Luis... I talked about in my article how I felt like he has been robbed from being a member of the MPL and should be there, but is clawing his way back into that space the good old-fashioned way. And I have every reason to think he'll succeed at that goal if he wants to. And that can certainly make a dent in these rankings even further and slide them up the charts a little bit. Yeah, entirely possible. I mean, I I was someone who benefited from the just absurdly randomness of the, you know, who's in the MPL initial mm-hmm. decision, right? It's like, who did the best in this 16-month time frame or whatever? And it's like, Determines okay. the next three years of magic. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously it was not supposed to be that long, but I, I definitely thought about that where it's like, wow, if I didn't if I didn't leave, I could have just been riding those coattails forever, man. Right. <laughs> Would have been rich. But yeah, fairly interesting. And I guess, you know, now we're starting to see that shake up a little bit more and it's being a little bit more determined by results and consistency and things of that nature, which is cool. It it would be interesting to take a look at, you know, what the inaugural year was versus like three years from then. And then three years after that, and to see how much has changed and who's like actually risen up. And I, I feel like, like you said, if, if Luis cares and he's on top of it, I mean, he's, going to go from like basically nothing into rivals, rivals into MPL and he could stay there. Yep. If he wanted to. No question. No question. Yeah. Obviously like in, in five years too, I mean, there's a lot of other people who are very good who might start, you know, maybe they're just like locked to sixth forever or whatever, who knows, but you know, maybe we could see some new names in the top five too. I hope so. I mean, I, I think that depends just as much on what does magic look like in the next few years, which is not oh, a question yeah. any of us can answer right now. So, Nope. I'm, I'm not even going to begin to make any guesses. No speculation. Yes, that did not make our lists. We did not. It's going to be all wrong. Yep. Will there be another online magic client in the next five years? Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I Like, I, I would not bet money on either side of it. If, if you give me even odds, you know? Yeah. I, I Another thing I mentioned in my article, and I do encourage you to go 
uh, read it, either if you have premium or if you want to wait till Tuesday when it goes available to everyone. Understanding the goal. I, I used to be able to say, okay, Wizards of the Coast is doing this to achieve this goal, and this will carry forward from this decision, and this will attract players in this fashion. And now I'm just like, I don't know what their business plans are, and I don't know. I, like I mentioned, the ability to convert arena players to paper players. And I'm like, well, do they still want to do that? Like, is that still a primary goal for them? And I, I have no idea. I have no idea how to answer that question. I think it's almost reductive, their approach. It's like, sell magic cards, sell arena boosters. And I don't know that it goes beyond that. It's funny to me too, because, you know, pandemic and there being, I hope, very, very few live magic gatherings happening and card sales still seem to be doing okay uh, better than ever by all indications this was the best year for magic ever based on so, what they have said now yeah. what does that mean again we're, well, it's I, another I think, list so i think i think arena is factored into that though right i think so and then it's like well Ar- if you arena, sell arena's cheating if you sell a hundred dollar booster pack does that is that the equivalent of selling a box of boosters previously i i would say yes right well, it's kind of weird. It depends on what metric you're trying to gauge. Right. You could do total number of magic cards sold or total dollar of magic cards sold or there's well, so I, many ways to look at it. I would want to be interested in like the amount of uniques who are purchasing magic cards. Yeah. That's right? a like, totally that's, fine way to look at it. That's one of them, but it's in, you know, it's entirely possible that they're it's it's just like any sort of like whale economy, right? It's like the 1% of buyers makes up for like a huge percentage of the sales. And when you're doing things like secret layers and presumably the whales are getting in on all those products, I mean, it's like the same amount of sales that they would have the year before if they didn't have secret layers, right? Because like there was just nothing for the whales to buy except for like maybe more product, but like would they even mm-hmm. do that? Probably not. But then if you give them this whale specific product, then they're going to snap that up too. But like that shouldn't be like, oh, magic is like growing or whatever. Like that's right. not – that's not what that metric indicates. Right. And I don't know if that's what they're using as this metric or not. I, I just, there's no clarity as, as well, far as the, this is magic's best year ever. I don't know how to take that statement. So. Yeah. I mean, when, when you're talking about how Hasbro would want to present it to uh, shareholders, mm-hmm. you, you, you want to say that that is a statement you really want to make. So you find yeah, a way to support that statement. Right. Exactly. And, if what was true was like sales were down, but more uniques were buying magic cards, then they would be like, oh, look at this growth that magic has had. Yeah, yeah sales magic is more like, popular than ever because yeah, more it, people are, yeah, there, there's so many ways to spin this thing. And that's the thing about investor calls. And like, as someone who, I didn't specifically do this type of stuff, but I was involved in scenarios where people were being investigated for doing investor disclosures <laughs> improperly. And nice, I would have to nice. then look at what they said in their investor statements and think about it that way. I, I promise you, it's all shaped to be able to say the things you want to say in good faith. And you play with that line of good faith hard. I, like You try to make those statements and you have to be quote unquote correct, but there's a lot of wiggle room where you're able to interpret those things. So I, I can't even say that that's what's happening here. Maybe it is just astounding growth, magic's better than ever. And- I'm in the wrong, but beyond just like taking what I see, I don't know how I'm really supposed to assess that given just the statements that are made. So I pre-ordered some cards this year, but not a lot and definitely fewer towards the end of the year when it was like, I don't know when this 
you know, shit show is ever going to be done with. So yep. what, am, what am I doing? That leads me to believe that I think that there are a lot of other people doing the same. I'm like, with I you. I bought I way fewer cards this year. I can't imagine buying magic cards right now, but magic is for the most part a luxury hobby, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe people are just like chilling, relaxing, cracking their box or their case or whatever they want to buy and just like sorting their cards and maybe sleeving up some decks uh, for the commander folks out there. I know that a lot of people are are playing online, you know, and figuring out ways to do that, which we've mentioned before. And that's awesome. And like that certainly contributes to some amount of sales, right? Like there was definitely at least one set that was commander focused this year, depending on if you want to count you know, things like jumpstart or whatever, but I, I understand why some people are buying cards, but I, I find it very difficult to believe that paper magic sales are up, especially if you discount the whale products from that equation, but arena numbers being up would not surprise me at all, especially since that's where all of organized play is. Right. So, right. right. Yeah. I, but, I think if you weren't way up, it, like, all video games are up in the pandemic, right. right? Yes. And that that's where my point of like, oh, magic is better than ever. I start to really want to push back against it. Because if you look at Twitch numbers right now for magic, they're not good. Like they're bad. Yeah. They're, they're worse than they were previously. In a moment where Twitch is really, really increasing its user base and most other popular games have really blossomed. Magic hasn't. Magic has done the opposite, especially when it comes to things like organized play. I talk a lot about the difference between the SCG tours that we used to cover live and in person and the SCG tours that we've tried to do online. And the viewership is, in some cases, a 10th, a 20th of what it was when we were doing live magic. Now, it's different. It's a different game. It, it looks very different. And the engagement for some people may not be there. So there's a lot of factors that go into that. But I, at some point, you have to use these metrics to tell you how much is magic in the consciousness of the average gamer right now? How much has the previously dedicated player base drifted off and found other things? And that's a number that points to me that people are looking in another direction right now. Yeah, I, I would not be shocked by that. I mean, I know that organized play has, I don't know, just the the changes and the upheaval and the uncertainty, like that has dissuaded a lot of people from actually participating into it. And you know, maybe you still participate in discourse. Maybe you still watch some streams or whatever. Maybe you still play a decent amount, but you're definitely participating much less than you used to, right? I think for a lot of people, like Magic was, you know, the one hobby that they had or the one main hobby. Right. And I think a lot of people have de- diversified at this point. Yeah, that's that's been my feel too. And you speak to people who are in our space, people who are content creators and commentators and certainly not going to name any names, but I can't tell you how many people in those spaces have expressed to me their displeasure with the state of things and their lack, their, their declining interest in what's been going on this year. So I don't, I don't know how I take all of these points of feedback that things are kind of dicey, a little negative, and then contrast them with Magic is selling more cards than ever. It just is not, it's not meshing with me. Yeah, I think I think arenas of uh, papers down. I don't think it's in any amount of metrics where it's like, oh, they're just going to kill paper magic. Like that's basically never going to happen, right? Right. But I, I definitely think that paper magic is down for whatever that's worth. We we shall see if we ever get clarity on that point. I don't yeah. know how we spent fifteen minutes on this way. This isn't even one of our top five lists. Yeah, dude. I don't know. <laughs> Everything drags us in this direction. Okay, top five 
Magic cards of 2020. I tried to do all of my lists with things that were released in 2020. And I thought I did a good job until like I, I went through and like fact check some stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, I just kind of, I kind of blew it on some stuff. So I, I will let you know if it, this is not a released, like a hard rule released in 2020 thing. Okay. These are cards that were released in 2020 though. My top five list. Do you want to, do you want to guess? Any like any cards that should be on my top five or my number one? I feel like you should be in alignment with my number one. I, I think it's just a great magic card. And it was the one that wasn't even close for me. Well, well, hold on, because yours is just top five magic cards. It's not like best magic cards or right. your favorite magic card I, or whatever. Right? I know. So it's, it's I, I think this checks I think this checks every possible box for a magic card. I think it's just a perfectly designed magic card that did a lot. For competitive spaces, it was flavorful. It was awesome. My number one card was Skyclave Apparition, and I it's just easily, think it's a great magic card. Easily in my top twenty. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, that's that's that was the only slam dunk. I, I also I'll just read my list because we're not going to talk about my list in depth. We're going to talk about your list in depth. If you want to know my thoughts, go to my article. But I had Dryad of the Elysian Grove as five, Teferi Master of Time as four, Forsaken Monument as three, Nahiri's Lithoforming as two, Skyclave Apparition as one. I also think Teferi Master of Time was a really, really good piece of Planeswalker design. So if that was on your list, that wouldn't shock me. But other than that, I have I have no clue what to point to. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you my top five. You're gonna be like, oh yeah, this this is all obvious stuff. Okay. Okay. Do you want me to start at five or one? You start at five and you go to one. That is the way top five lists are designed. And I will say they Yours didn't appear that way. are listed from one to five in your article, though. I didn't write them that way. So they were edited to be like that. So someone who worked on the editing side of things changed my order to go with your order. So someone supports your point of view on, on this issue. When when Cedric wanted me to do the, the 10 things articles, he had me reference uh, an ESPN series where they counted down from 10 to 1. So I don't think it was Cedric. I think he understands the value of the countdown. Okay. I Yeah, I don't know who edited this particular article, but uh, they are listed 1 through 5. And in fairness, this is a little different because I just gave the list and then talked through things. Now, if I was going point by point explaining each one, I would 100% insist that it be done 5 through 1. I think when you just dump the whole list out, it's more defensible to present it in this fashion. Okay, so we'll just we'll count down five to one. Okay. Uh, my number five is Shark Typhoon. Huh. Tell tell me more. I would like to know how this made it so high on your list. Uh, this is one of the cards that I just like skipped over during preview season for the most part. It's like okay, stupid enchantment, make sharks, whatever, and not really putting it through the test of like where would this be applicable? Where could I use this? Because just the the front side of the card immediately like turned my brain off towards you know competitive magic right Mm -hmm. this is one of the cards that i actually bought this year i bought four german copies i try to get i try to get the extended art ones but they don't exist oh really uh well they they might not exist but i definitely couldn't find them i'm i'm pretty sure that the extended border cards i've only seen in English and Japanese. I could be wrong about that, though. Huh. I didn't know that. The German name of the card is Hai, H-I-A, or H-A-I, like yeah. Japanese Hai. Yeah. Fun, F-U-N, one word. Haifun. Haifun. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Great card. Uh, I like it. It goes in a lot of the decks that I like to play, and 
Also, if I want like a sweet copy for Canadian Highlander or whatever, if I ever get to play that again, then I have them. But I don't know, man. I like this card. It goes in a lot of my decks. It's sweet. It's I, fi- it, like, I find it frustrating. It's, it's a card that frustrates me to play against. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty bad design, okay. but that's that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, that's fine. It, it so I like the low opportunity cost win condition, and that's what this is. I am a big fan of that as well. I, don't get me wrong. I, I love casting a shark typhoon. I don't really love the uh, misbind click ish nature of you know giving up a creature mid combat. I, I just think flash creatures should be rare and pretty high drawback like messing with combat in that fashion especially when they get the bodies get big like small flash creatures whatever i think that's fine but as soon as the creature is capable of blocking i i wish they were a little bit less common because it really does a lot to dissuade uh the normal gameplay flow of like press my advantage attack and you know punish my opponent for not being able to use mana there's just too many spots where you can fill in your mana curve with shark typhoon so I, i don't love it to play against i think it's fun i like some goofy stuff in magic uh i also bought copies of this card this year so i I don't think it's an awful choice but not one of my favorites just because the play patterns a little it's dude it's my number five not my number one okay let's hear some more maybe i'll be more on board with the rest of the top five number four treacherous blessing that's a good one that's a good choice right it's like cool card interesting build around definitely you know doesn't slot into everything does punish you a lot of the time is is just really sweet. Had had a lot of fun trying to make this work in a lot of different decks, and there's like just enough of various pieces that could go with it to entice me to play it. But it was mostly a trap a lot of the time, which I think is kind of what they should be striving for with with card design, right? It's like have yep. cards that get people excited but aren't busted. Yeah, I mean that was the basis behind Nahiri's Lithoforming and Forsaken Monument making my list is that. They sucked me in really hard and occasionally did some really cool stuff, really powerful stuff, but ultimately were like traps. And uh, they weren't traps that I felt bad for investing my time on. They were traps that asked me really interesting questions and gave me something to explore. And I think Treacherous Blessing does a lot of that same stuff. The fact that oftentimes Doom Foretold decks were cutting this card says a lot about how well designed it is because that's like the obvious slam dunk home and it still had enough weaknesses where it didn't always make the cut there. Yeah, the uh, one of the obvious problems is that it does work well or pretty well at least with Urian, which I think is a, a fail for sure. Join join the list. Join yeah, the club. I, obviously, every I, I think that's the knock against Skyclave Apparition too. It's like too, too good yeah. with Urian, but yeah, that that's that's the thing that you mentioned in your article where you're like, oh, this is like fair and it's not relying on card advantage, and it's like, well, it kind of is because you the only deck it showed up in was the thing that blinked it repeatedly. You know, yeah, I, I think that's a Urian problem much more than a Skyclave Apparition it problem. Is. And it is, Skyclave absolutely. Apparition goes back to like Legacy, right, where it's an important card in Death and Taxes now, and and that's what I think is really cool about it. Yeah, I mean, some of them are playing Urian too, so. They are. They are. All right. Number three, Magmatic Channeler. Oh, good one. Okay. Yeah, I like this one. Cars Gas. I like it a lot. Again, right on that borderline of good enough, but not quite good enough. That's where I love my magic cards to exist. Dude, same. (laughs) That's what I build all my decks around. Right. Uh, Number two, this is where we get into like very Jerry territory, I think. Ox of Agonis. Okay. No escape card belongs on my list, but... I, I know why you like this card. That's fair. This dude, this is escape eight cards. Eight's yeah. a lot. 
You're that, not. That's the best usage of escape for sure. Is like you have to work really hard to get more than one cast. Right. I mean, people didn't really put this in their decks with the intent of casting it. It was like, all right, I have to put this in the graveyard and then work really hard because that's that's a payoff, right? It's like two mana for this thing and basically exile your entire filled graveyard, right? And I yeah. think that, again, kind of like Treacherous Blessings, like that's a cool enough thing to want to build around. And then it also, like Escape did kind of play the role of hero against fairies, or not fairies, rogues to some degree. So th- this card just did good work this year, as long as you're just discounting the entire dredge mechanic. Right. I, I do like how it showed up as a sideboard card. I think that's yeah. really cool. Uh, a really nice application of this. Yep. My number one, Brian, come on. It's going to be obvious when I hear it, I'm sure, but uh, n- nothing is springing to mind right now. Like it's, it's probably something that puts cards in the graveyard. No, this, this card should have made your top five. Did I just blank on a card that I really love? I think you did. Hit me. Maze Mind Tome. Yeah, it should have been on my top five. Yeah. Maybe that's a better number five than Dryad of the Elysian Grove. Yeah, so Dryad, I think, is just crappy design. Like, I would not have Dryad on your list for the same reason you don't want Shark Typhoon on mine. See, I, I like Dryad in the modern context, and I think it doesn't matter in, in the standard context, so I, I don't have to discuss it there. But I, I think it's interesting to move combo onto the battlefield, make it about creatures. And I, I know it feels like oppressive when it's doing its thing, but you think about how it like it opened it opened up boiling again, which is kind of neat. And the body nonsense. was able to make it so combat mattered. But like modern is a nonsense format. It's inherently it is. nonsense. It is. And and those type of things are what I'm looking for. I would so much rather have a PowerPoint in modern be dried of the Elysian Grove than like Hogak or you know, something just inherently stupid that yeah i'm not i'm not comparing it to hogak you know right, but in my opinion that's what modern is often defined by is like what is that busted interaction and how far can you push it and dried of the elysian grove simultaneously recognizes that the format has to be busted like that's just what it is there's no real way to compete without doing something silly but does so in a way that refocuses things on creature combat and killing creatures and just more traditional styles of magic yeah, I I don't think that it necessarily encourages a lot of that stuff. Okay. Either way, I, I would have gone with Maze Mountain Tome in in, a, in retrospect. Great, wonderful. I have some some honorable mentions too. I have a lot of cards that I was just like, okay, I kind of like this. Yeah, like give me a few of those. Uh, the the pathways and just you know some of the DFCs in general almost made my list. Yep. I like Thieves Guild Enforcer. Okay. Eliminate. Eliminate's good, yep. Selfless Savior. That's another one I find frustrating from a, a play pattern perspective, but uh, it does, this might be a me thing. It No, it, it is frustrating, but like white also needs the help. It does, right? it does. And it, historically, you know, white's, white's got like the Thalias and Armageddons and, or, or the bigger white stuff like ECD and Urian or whatever. And it's like, I would much rather just be like, okay, you can have Selfless Savior. That's fine. You know, that is... Definitely not even in like the top twenty most egregious things that are happening in standard right now. Oh sure, right? sure. So, do you, wait, do you like do you like selfless saver for white more than you like skyclave apparition? Uh no, apparition's also on the okay. list. Okay, skyclave apparition. <laughs> How about that? Uh I like gem razor a lot. Yeah. I like fire prophecy. Okay. Blitz of the thunder raptor. Yeah, I wish that saw more play. Of one mind. Hmm. 
That's it. I don't, I don't know what to make of your inclusion of, of one mind. I think you just want to cast divination again and have it be meaningful. No, I want to jump through hoops and this like to have divination for one mana and this rewards you for playing creatures and it's an interesting build around. Okay. H- have you played any of one mind? Like, is it good enough to actually A little. build around or does it, does it have the Nahiri's lithoforming problem? So it's not quite there yet. I think uh, it's, it's definitely passable in legacy. Like yeah. y- young, young pyromancer just turns this thing on, right? It does. So I, I think that that's a perfectly reasonable place to go. And then if you do things like Snapcaster plus Shark Typhoon in Modern or whatever, it's like, okay, you can you can kind of make this work. But it's 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 not good enough, right? Because you still have to jump through all these hoops to do it. But there could be a time and a place where it is actually what you should be doing. And then as for Standard, the problem is like it encourages you to play creatures. And there's just a lot of inherent problems with playing like pretty fair creatures at this point. So Right. Yeah, the big body's too big. Game snowball too hard. Lots lots of strikes against creatures. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I did it. I jumped through hoops in my creature deck, got a divination, and then, you know, people are just like Embercleave you. It's like, okay, yeah. what, what am Urian, I doing with my life? Yuri and draw six. Yeah. <laughs> uh top five sets I did not do just because your list is pretty reasonable and there just there weren't a lot of sets, man. No, there were a lot of sets. There <laughs> well, well okay, again, so- it depends what you count as a set. There were there were more sets than usual, but it's still not a lot of sets. Uh, yeah, I mean, my point in doing the top five sets was as much to say things about the sets that weren't on there. I wanted to say my part on Secret Layer and Commander Legends, neither of which I love. Um, so leaving them off my, that my top five list was the way to do so. And then Jumpstart and Core Set, I think, are like two breakthroughs. That was my number one and two. Uh, Jumpstart as an introductory product is pretty brilliant. And I think Corset 2021 did exactly what a Corset should do. So I wanted to give credit to both of those. And Zendikar Rising was real close to being a great set. It obviously Agreed. gets saddled with Omnath, but it was in the range of greatness. And yeah, and I then Cor- there's... I Cor- there, and Theros are kind of messes, so... There's, there's like some DFC issues, too, where it's like, I like these in theory, but, you know, we've, we've kind of set our piece on that, and they also ruined older formats, so there's that. Yeah, with the oops all spells type setups. Yeah. Yeah. Top five formats. I struggled with this, I would say, a little bit. So I will say that my top five formats are, I'm going to start at number one, historic. Number two, modern. That's it. (laughs) That's all you have for good formats, huh? That's it. What about draft? I I mean, I know you didn't play a lot of draft, but when when you dabbled, you weren't a fan? It's it's a chore to me. I don't know how else to explain it. Like the act of drafting itself is fine, but then you're going to make me play out a bunch of game, like seven matches with the same seven deck. Seven is too many. Seven is too many for sure. Come on. I mean, if if you want me to join a queue and then, you know, have me like play one or two matches and then only pay me out for a win, then you did it. You know, you have succeeded in getting my thousand gems or whatever. Congrats. So over the past week it's it's gone now but i actually played some cube on arena and not only was the cube i was playing best two out of three which what a revelation that was after being shuttled into best of one for a very long period of time it was just play your three games go again that was it you you just played three you got gems based on how many of those you won and then you queued up for the next one and it felt awesome it felt so good and I, I think the cube was also well designed on top of it but just being able to return to that 
only have to play a few games with my draft deck, do it again right afterwards. It, it reminded me how I used to draft back in the day on Magic Online, where I would literally just sit there all day and sit in draft queues and have a great time. And I try and do that now. And my eyes roll back in my skull and I, I drop dead immediately. But back then I could do it. And a lot of it is how it's being set up and presented to me. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, so it's it's best two of three. So you're only playing one match and then you're done. No, no. It's, is that what it's, you're saying? No, it's three best two out of three matches. Oh, okay. So you get I, to sideboard. I, I hadn't sideboarded in draft in so long. Okay. So with cube, if it was three best of ones, I would be probably in depending on what the cube was. Cause that's another problem. Yeah. The, the best of one is seven. Uh, you just play seven or no, it could be more than that. It's, it's three losses or seven wins. So you could get stuck for nine games with the same, with the same deck. Hate it. Hate yeah. it too much. I, I did. I did not love it. And after the, cause they took the best of three away. So I'm like, Oh, I kind of was enjoying this. So I'll try this. And I played once and I was like, no, they, they ruined it. Is there another part that I didn't do? No, it was just the formats. I was just like, eh. There's yeah. only two two that I really like. I guess with your top five sets, I could put in like the ones that were the least bad, but what's the point? That That is what I did. And again, I wanted to make a point about what I was excluding. Standard did not make my top five list, which is bonkers uh, that that's the way we would set up the game these days. But I am not convinced standard is all that important anymore. I just don't know if it matters. Well, I, I think it's important. I think it matters. It's just the the issues that happened were not, you know, standards fault, right? It's not like, oh, there's a problem with how this format is structured. I think that maybe you could make a better format in theory, you know, like nothing is perfect, but it, it was just like the cards and the bannings and the play patterns and, you know, there, but, there but were- some of some of that is born from not caring though, right? Like it, it has to be it, when you're pushing cards that far, you have to kind of be saying, I am willing to take some hits to a standard format. If it means we're selling cards to people who want them for modern as well. Like yeah. when the and sets that just, it, that's yeah, it, it does, but that's like, that's pointing to the priority and that's them saying standard doesn't matter. And then you have to then equate that with the best magic year ever. So you have to go, maybe they're right. Maybe standard doesn't matter. And people don't care about this. So I don't think that they think that it doesn't matter. I think that they think that no matter what, it's going to be at least fine because it's the easiest entry point and people are going to be there no matter what. Pretty much. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they could, but like, this last year was about the worst it could possibly be, you know? Right. That, that's my point. It was as bad as it can get, and they still sold Magic cards. So what's the incentive to make it better in the future? Why not just continue doing things this way, ban things on a rolling basis, and kind of destroy the format every few months, but the modern players are out there buying cards from the standard sets, and you're selling more cards than ever. Like, There's no reason to fix that problem. If we're continuing to sell cards in that fashion requires fixing standard, then they just shouldn't fix standard. So the the whole speak with your wallet thing does doesn't really matter when you basically can't and that's because standard does matter as far as, you know, what organized play is offering, right? If you right. want to try and qualify for the pro tour with what they have now, standard's a big part of that. So, yeah, the format sucks and they're probably going to ban your deck, but you still have to spend like $300 on arena to get all the cards. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that's not a good place for business. And No, it's you know, not. Obviously quant- not. And it- quantifying this is the best magic year ever seems to be missing a big part of the equation. But Yes, it, it's the, the best year in sales total, but it is definitely not the best year for like, oh, look at all the great things we did. It's just like, 
a lot of people are trapped at home and you have arena and people are willing to spend money on it. So they do. Yeah. And good you know, job. I, I hate nitpicking on the choice of words, but like when you make statements like this was magic's most successful year ever. And I, I think I saw Mark Rosewater make that specific statement. If I'm misattributing it, then please disregard me. I should certainly check that out. But I think that is the exact language he used most successful year ever. So when you make a statement like that, it points to what you are considering as success. Well, okay. Rosewater can parrot what the company says, but he can't say that this year was a trash fire, right? Agreed. But you can say more magic cards were sold in 2020 than ever, or you can say more new players entered the game than ever. When you choose to say it was magic's most successful year ever, I think you're, you're making a purposeful statement. Or you're towing the company line and just playing it safe, which, look, right. I don't begrudge anyone for protecting their well-being. And certainly we all make decisions along those lines on a regular basis. It's the reality of our world. So this isn't a, a personal trashing. This is just like, this is a dissatisfaction with the way the message is being delivered, even if I understand where it's coming from. Yeah, I, I just, I don't want you to necessarily insinuate that Rosewater thinks that it was the most successful year. Like, yes, he is tweeting that, but he is using his company's definition of what success means, not necessarily his own. Maybe that is his definition. I don't know. Yeah. But. See, that that just doesn't get a pass for me. Like, I, I don't think that's – if you're saying something that you don't believe, that's where you cross a line. You can choose what to say. It's possible he, that he doesn't even know. Sure. Sure. Right? Like All, it, all within the realm of possibility. Maybe his definition of success is like, did branded marketing tell him that it was successful? You know? Sure. Sure. Like, okay, yeah. sure. But like, yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily think it's fair to just be like, well, Rosewater said it so clearly. No, I, I know. That's the problem with like fixating on particular word choice, right? Is like so much of my word choice is just like off the cuff. This is the word I chose. And I didn't think that carefully about it. And it's not supposed to mean anything. But I'm I'm just saying reading it in that fashion is frustrating to me. And yes. I, I would like to see more careful word choice, but I understand it's maybe not worth reading into it that deeply. I mean, we've we've kind of insinuated also that like we know what they think success is and we think that it is sales, period. Yeah. Right? And I don't think we're that far off base, regardless of how wrong we are, you know, because obviously that's going to be a big part of it. So yeah. maybe maybe that word choice was very specifically chosen. I don't know. But I will say I I don't usually well in general I I try to be very selective about the magic content I take in just because I think my brain has a tendency to parrot things without realizing I'm doing so so I'm, I'm very careful about like what videos I watch what podcasts I watch just because I want to be sure that I'm presenting thoughts as my own and I'm not like letting things seep into my subconscious and color the way I present my thoughts but I did watch Prof's video from like the, the worst magic missteps of 2020. I, I thought he did a really good and fair job of presenting exactly where things went wrong. And I, I encourage people to watch that. I, I kind of co-sign everything he said. I think he was just spot on. Did you watch the best one? No, I didn't, which points to the problem with the, <laughs> the situation is that I was drawn to say, okay, how does this person see things going wrong? Does it align with the way I see things going wrong? But I didn't look at how does this person see things going right? Why didn't I go that route? I don't know. I just, I wasn't drawn to it. Okay, but you you saw the video and actively chose not to click on it. Uh, yes. yes. Okay. Okay. 
Just just I, wondering, because like he he made a, a thread and I tweeted about it and I was just curious what your take was. But yeah, I don't I don't know how like the first one crossed my path. Uh so I, I would have to think about like I, I do think I'm I'm subbed to Pref, but I'm sub sub to a lot of things. So like not everything I'm sub to necessarily pops in my field of vision. Right. But this one did. So Okay. Top five video games. I like I said, I tried to keep this uh twenty twenty only. So this list is pretty small and it's also kind of messed up where it's like a lot of my lists are actually, I couldn't make it to five because to me that rings like an endorsement. And there are a lot of things that I watched or played this year that I would definitely not endorse. Okay. So I don't feel fair putting a lot of stuff on like a top five list, kind of like, you know, putting standard on my top five format list, even if there are only five formats. Right, right. I get that. I guess I'm going to start with four, which is going to be a weird one because I have not played this, although I have watched it and I recognize it as something that is definitely very, very good and something that I would enjoy, but I just have not played yet, uh, which is Hades. Okay. Yeah. I, I, this was the slam dunk from this year, right? Like everyone just is in love with this game. There's there's not a lot of things that I can just watch without having played it myself and just be like, okay, this is cool, you know? It is. It is brilliant. It is beautiful. It is amazingly voice acted, uh, well written, and a ton of fun to play. It, it's just a complete home run and uh, a, a no question inclusion on almost every single top list I've seen thus far. I didn't even play it, and I put it on my list. Yeah, I, I get it. It that it does everything right. Yeah, eh, kind of mad you don't have this one on your list, but I understand. Uh, my number three is a game. More in the games I played territory. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Didn't stick for me, Jerry. I don't know. I, I started playing it. I played like an hour of it and I haven't finished it. Now, I play a lot of video games to the extent that like almost everything that came out this year that is a noteworthy title, I've probably played at least an hour of it. And some things stick and some things don't. Some things I go back to even years later. I'm actually playing Hollow, Hollow Knight right now, which is a game that completely bounced off me the first time and now I'm playing it and loving it. So I am very open to the possibility of going back to the Final Fantasy VII Remake and playing it, but it didn't hook me the first time. And part of it is that it's on PlayStation and I don't play games on my PlayStation all that much. I'm just more comfortable on my computer or my Switch. So that's a strike against it. And I do love the original Final Fantasy VII, but uh, yeah, just didn't hit me this time. So you know that most games require, like especially JRPGs, require more than an hour for you to actually absolutely get into it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but this is the way I get. Like I, I can't tell you how many other JRPGs I played for an hour this year and bounced off of. And then there's some that stuck. So I don't know what it is where some stick and some don't. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is like really important, and somehow people seem to gloss over it, like when you know, cyberpunk came out. I was like, okay, like I'm going to watch some people stream this because it's, it's so overhyped or whatever, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, there's just going to be like a lot of things I don't like about this game. And it's like the beginning of the game is you create your character. I'm just like, I'm done. I'm off it. This is boring Mm. as hell. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I I have shortcutted that process a lot in my video games these days. I just kind of default character. Let's go. I don't care what it looks like. it, It makes me wonder what the process is for stuff like this, because that is feedback that I would want to give as, you know, someone who's doing like QA or, you know, just testing in general or providing feedback where it's just like, oh, I spent an hour designing my character and then had to go to bed and I didn't even get to play the game. 
Right. It's just like that, dude, that sucks. How is that your opener? Especially in Cyberpunk, a game that is uh, played from the first person and you literally have to go like look in a mirror to see what your character actually looks like. And then the entire time you're covered in nonsense clothing anyway, because you just like equip whatever is the highest armor value. And it's it's all pretty generic, but like you're not really formulating, at least in my playthrough, I wasn't actually formulating an outfit with the idea of, oh, how will this look? It was just what had the highest armor ratio. Yeah, so for FF7 Remake, I kind of get that, right? It's like, it it does start by throwing you into the action, which I think is a good way to go about things, but it's also just like you're you're trapped in, in the dungeon, right? And you have to like complete the dungeon before anything actually opens up for you to have agency over what you want to do. Yeah. So it's a little bit of the pro side for me and a little bit of the cons, and I can, I can see why you would bounce off it, but I mean, I think that that is just within the realm of normalcy for JRPG specifically. For sure. And I've, I've been through it many times. I am confident that someday it is a game I will go back to. Maybe once I'm finally able to get a PlayStation 5 and uh, that will give me an excuse to just go ahead and, and load it back up. Because also that was actually a little disappointing. I don't have a PlayStation 4 Pro. I have like a, I have a release date PlayStation actually. I got it the day it came out and never upgraded. I, so, I don't I don't have a release date one, but I definitely have one of the old ones and it sucks. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't handle these games all that well. And I kind of want to wait until my system is upgraded to experience them because I'm feeling like I'm not doing them justice by playing them on like release day PlayStation 4. I'm I'm actually really disappointed in myself. Like I haven't tried as hard as I certainly could, but like, you know, with with the clout or whatever that I have, it's like, why why have I not been able to figure out how to get a PS5? Mm-mm. It has not mattered in this case whatsoever. I this and the thirty eight or the thirty eighty the the graphics card that came yeah. out like three months ago. I have had alerts on my PC. The second they go on sale, my PC starts beeping at me. I sit in queues and I just can't get either of them, and I have been completely unsuccessful. No, I feel like you need to know someone who can fast track you. But shouldn't I know someone? Like I see, that's I've definitely what I asked people who I thought would have access to them, and everyone's just like, nope, don't have them. Yeah, and I was like, well, I guess I don't know anyone who can come through with this. So I asked you because I was like, oh, you you have contacts. Nope. You know, and no. not in this case. Right. It is it is not working. And obviously, I'm not paying a thousand dollars for that. So or twelve hundred, right. whatever. Yeah, I've made that mistake before, and it's one of the dumbest things I've ever done. Anyway, uh, FF Seven Remake, very good. Definitely enjoyed it. I don't know how much I would have enjoyed it. Uh, you know, had the original not been part of my childhood, right? Also had a decent amount of problems and like things that I didn't like about it, but it was awesome to be able to relive it in like a a modernized video game setting. And I think that that was really cool. And granted, I I played it for three days and it was over, Uh, (laughs) but I'm still looking forward for like the second part, third part, however many parts they have. I'm going to play them all. Yeah, I I hope I get back to it. I'm confident I will. Uh, Number two, this is... This is a weird one for me. Fall Guys. It's a good choice. Made my list. Yeah. And number five, I kind of feel the same way where it's like, all right, this this is very, very good. And I play it a decent amount, but I also only play it because I have a crew that wants to play it with me. Would never play it by myself under any circumstances, but it's kind of the perfect background game. Like when we get together to play Fall Guys, it's less about how are we doing in Fall Guys and just a chance to chill and talk and have a good time and feel like a little bit normal again. Like it almost takes the place of attending magic tournaments where we would do this type of stuff. So All right. keep keep talking. Explain why we like Fall Guys to the folks. 
I, I have to handle a cat situation. Okay. <laughs> you go take care of the cat issue. But yeah, Fall Guys is just like, a, I would term it a perfect popcorn game. It is simple. It is elegant. You're only doing some pretty basic things. Anyone can play it. It's very accessible. There's still like skill gains to be made. You feel like you're learning something every time you play. And it's just like a really clean application of a fun, silly game. And if you've ever enjoyed a Mario Party type thing or really any like party game, I I think Fall Guys is at least worth a shot. It feels like a game that was uniquely set up for 2020. It is cutesy and light and the music's delightful. And I I think it just knows what it is and does a really good job of being that thing. Yeah, what you said. I didn't hear all of it, of course, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure you nailed it. Uh, I mean, so so for me being very spiky, it's also good in that regard where it's like every time I play the game, I see ways I can improve. Right. So yeah, that is, you, you usually cool feel like too. you made the mistake when you lose. Like, always, oh, I could have done dude, this better. Always. I mean, there's there's like mechanical aspects of certain things where it's like, you know, how you bounce off someone or whatever, where it's like, okay, that was kind of out of my control. I didn't know that I would, you know, get bounced like that or whatever. Yep. But maybe it's just like, oh, well, maybe you should have not been running next to that person, you know? Yeah, always improvements to make. And I, I think when you have a game that's so simple, finding that kind of depth in it is a really cool thing. Yeah, it's it's been really fun for me. Not a game I could ever play myself, not even really a game that I would maybe even just, you know, want to to play myself like would i would i download this if i didn't know like my best friend was playing it or whatever probably not but here we are yep number one for me is genshin impact very easy i mentioned this on the cast i don't know like a month ago or something i'm still playing game is awesome i love it it is maybe destroying my life we'll see (laughs) so you have never really mmo'd before right no because i knew this would happen yeah this is it. This is your but, MMO moment. But uh, it's it's pandemic time, baby, and I'm that's true. I'm very very socially distanced from everyone. Yeah. So I got a lot of free time on my hands, and this is a great time sink for me. There are definitely things that I feel like I'm doing almost a problematic amount, especially when it comes to gaming. But then I think of like what else am I supposed to be doing? And then I just give myself a pass in any other moment. I'd be like, Oh, I'm playing too much of this game. I need to kind of get my life together. But like, there's just nothing else to do. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yes, I should certainly be like exercising more and, you know, finding ways to productively use my time, but just trying to survive, man, (laughs) I got to get through this. And uh, I have given myself a pass when it comes to, oh, you played this game too much. And I think you should do the same if you're finding enjoyment in it. Just don't really look a gift horse in the mouth and be happy you have this thing that captures your imagination. Yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, I mean, there are there are plenty of things that I feel like I could or should be doing. But a lot of it, too, is just like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm super depressed and like don't really have energy to do things. So it's like, all right, yep. I'm going to do this and then feel guilty about it. So how's that sound? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant use of your time <laughs> to do something and then feel awful that you did it. But I feel you. I, I mean, it's just something we've had to balance throughout all of this for sure. Yep. Uh, on to anime. Oh, wait, hold on. I have a, I have a few points I want to make about my games because I, I didn't talk oh. about any of these. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. Sorry. I want to I want to wrap about them. Uh, my number five was Fall Guys. Went over that. Number four, Yakuza Like a Dragon. Never played a Yakuza game before. It is simultaneously 
very thoughtful and problematic, which is a weird combination. But like, I kind of write a lot of it off to just different cultural sensibilities. But the lead character is really likable, uh, gener- generally a good person, even though he is ex Yakuza. Uh, and the gameplay mechanics, my understanding of Yakuza in the past is that it's like a GTA kind of clone type deal with a, a beat em up element. This is like an old school JRPG. And it's really clean, really fun, really well executed. And I enjoyed it way more than I expected to. I haven't beaten it yet, but uh, I have gotten way past the one hour threshold. Uh, and I think I will finish this at some point. So thumbs up to that. Uh, my number two was Team Fight Tactics. Kind of not a 2020 game. I think it came out before 2020, but I only found it in 2020. I had played auto chess games before, but not Team Fight Tactics because it was too inaccessible. There's there's a tremendous amount of knowledge you have to have to even begin playing the game. And I'm talking like 100 hours worth of gameplay before you even know all the components and know how to do everything. And then you have to actually execute it and get good at it, which is a whole nother can of worms. But the hurdle to get into the game is really high. Once I cleared it, I have loved this game. Uh, it's probably the game I played the most this year. Just an almost uncomfortable amount of teamfight tactics over the last two months. But it still wasn't my number one. My number one was Monster Train. Unfortunately, I feel like I hit the end of Monster Train where I just kind of did everything there was to do. I cleared the runs all the way up to whatever it was, Covenant 25 or whatever, with every single different faction. And it's just the best application. Like, it certainly steals from Slay the Spire. There's no question about that. Heavily, heavily influenced by it. But it's the best version of it. And it just was my complete flow state game. I would play Monster Train for eight hours and not even realize where the day went. And every single run was fun. If you love magic, I am so, so confident you'll love Monster Train. And it's definitely worth playing. Yeah, I, I'm i interested in playing Yakuza because you spoke so highly of it. And then I watched some of it and like watching it. It was both good and bad. It was like I could see certain aspects that I would like and dislike. So I don't know if I'll actually ever get around to doing that. And then Monster Train is something that I would almost certainly enjoy because like Slay the Spire and uh, the OG one by Peter Whelan and like all the kind of clones that have come since then, like are very close to getting me interested. I'm but like I just want there to be a good version of it. And from everything I've heard, this is this is it. Yep, I think I think Monster Train is just the best version so far. To take nothing away from the innovators and the OG, but uh, you know that's how the, these things go. The, someone presents the mechanics, they get cleaned up a little bit, with the exception of Magic, which both presented the mechanics and then had the best application of it, which is why it's been such a iconic game. But in most instances, it takes like a first pass, and then the refined version, like you see it with Battle Royals and Fortnite, kind of taking over and. You certainly saw it in the auto chess genre where auto chess was just an add-on for Dota and then all these other companies came and kind of appropriated it. But that's the way these things go. And if you make the best version of it, you will have my interest. And I think Monster Train did that. Uh, Dream Quest is the OG. I keep forgetting okay. what, what the name of it is. I, um, I've never even heard of that. It's Dude, it's it's like done on MS Paint. Okay. It's But the gameplay is gas. And that's so like then Blizzard hired... Peter and then Peter started doing all the like adventure stuff for Hearthstone. Gotcha. Like gotcha. after the after the OG adventures, after when it was when they actually became like roguelikes. That was yep. that was Peter. Very cool. Yeah, certainly a huge achievement in game design. Uh it'll, it'll be aped for a long time. 
Yes. Uh, okay, anime. Yours, I'll go five to one. Got a high school, ID Invaded, Akadama Drive, Doro Hidoro, Jujutsu Kaisen. Anything you want to add to those? God of High School falls under it's so bad, it's good. I, I don't even recommend it. Like unless unless you go into it accepting that it is bad, but it's just like stupid and fun. And I, I did ultimately enjoy it. Even though the first seven episodes, I was pretty sure I was only watching for the theme song. It's I, good. The, the yeah. opening is nice. Yeah, the OP is really good, but it, it is a very silly show. So I'm not going to give it a hard recommendation. Even... ID invaded. I'm not like over the moon about, but the top three I thought were all really good. Akudama Drive in kind of like a trashy way, but in the best sense of that word. And it's, it's also kind of like a throwback to old school anime. Yeah, it does feel that way. And it feels like a throwback to old school science fiction. Like one of True. my yeah. favorite movies is Johnny Mnemonic. And that is an incredibly stupid movie, but I just, <laughs> I, I love like that 90s sure. cyberpunk type deal. And Akudama Drive has a lot of that. Doro Heidoro is just beautifully animated and kind of brilliant. And I didn't think it was that from watching previews. So I'm happy I decided to watch it. And Jujutsu Kaisen is just a slam dunk. I think it's going to be uh, like the next classic anime series. It is. It turns so many tropes about the shonen genre on its head and does so in a very thoughtful way with amazing, amazing animation. I think it's the best animated show of the year. Um, I won't say by far because Doro Heidoro does cool stuff too, but really love that show. Uh, I need to finish Akadama Drive. I have no idea what ID Invaded is. I have seen, you know, Dora Hidoro advertised to me or whatever, but I don't know what it is. And then Jujutsu Kaisen, I've watched episode one and I hated the animation. That's so interesting. I thought it was beautiful. All right. My, my top three, number three, Tower of God. Why don't you like this? Someone asked me that. I think I got what I needed to out of the manhwa. Like having already read it, I didn't necessarily need to go back and experience it again. I think it's fine. I think it's good. And if you haven't read the webtoon that it's based on, 100% watch it. But for me, it just wasn't It, it wasn't anything special because I'd already experienced it. I, I think it is awesome that I get to experience it in different mediums and also... I don't know. It's it's kind of the same thing for God of High School, where it's like it's way different to like see you know these action sequences on the page versus on the screen. No, that's true. I, I didn't read God of High School, so I, I didn't okay. have that background when it came to that. Uh, I was trying to watch God of High School and then read up to that part in the manhwa as it was mm. going on. So I did that with season one, and there's like a lot of differences. Whereas like Tower of God, it seemed like was just copy paste. Very close. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed it. I, I like the webtoon a lot. I think that it does a lot of interesting stuff as far as like story progression and everything. And I'm excited to see where it goes. And I'm happy that the anime exists so that more people get into the webtoon. Yep, for sure. Uh, number two, I just watched. And the reason it, it made my list is basically because I was able to finish it in like two days. Whereas a lot of things I, I had like Brian syndrome where it's like I watch an episode and I'm just like, eh kind of off it especially now with trying to read subtitles and just like focus on one thing it's just like kind of impossible for me yeah this one is uh talentless nana oh cho was talking about this one yeah i i, I watched it like after we played fall guys and he recommended it and it, it's very good okay i will ha- i i only heard about this for the first time when cho mentioned it so I, I will have to check it out 
Yeah, it's quite good. And then number one, I just, I liked, but I, you know, it's like God of high school for you, I guess. Uh, Inspector. Okay. Heard good things. Haven't seen that either. Yeah. I just, I just enjoyed it. And it's, it's the same thing as talentless, not aware. Like I was able to actually sit down and watch it, which means something to me now. Yeah. I, I understand that. That's like how I rate video games for the most part. Like, did I play this a lot? Okay. It was probably really good. Yeah. Or it's, it's doing something for me, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I think both of them were interesting, like storytelling wise. And that is probably what kept me hooked where it's like, uh, I, I actually want to click on the next episode to see what's going to happen. And cool. I, felt good at the end of it too. I have really felt that way about uh, Doro Hedoro. I think it does a good job progressing. And if, if you like things that are bordering on abstract, but still make sense, like it's just the zaniest world, but it's a well thought out zany world where these things are both absurd and you're like, yeah, it would make sense that that would happen in this world. I, I really appreciate that type of world building. And I think Doro Hedora does a good job of that. Cool. For TV shows, I tried to do things that were released in 2020 and it was difficult. I did a bad job of that. In fact, I don't think anything on my top five TV shows was actually released in 2020. But I think they had new seasons in 2020. They did. And that's what I was basing it on. Yeah. Just like what they produced this year. But I don't, I don't know if that's how you're supposed to do these lists or not. So like Googling around, trying to find like an all-encompassing list of TV shows that started in 2020, I came across like some, you know, top 50 list, top 20 list. And that's basically what they were doing. It was just like the Mandalorian had a season this year and we liked season one. So like it didn't matter what season two was. And it's like, well, that's not mm. that's not a great version of that list. But right. You know, season two of Mandalorian was good, whatever. Uh, your your top five, Shit's Creek, The Good Place, Big Mouth, The Mandalorian, and What We Do in the Shadows. What We Do in the Shadows is exactly the type of show that I hate. Yeah, I wouldn't even think about asking you to watch it. There's no way you will enjoy it. It's because it's you're incredible. a good friend. I, yes. I, I was forced to watch it the last time I stayed at Todd Anderson's place. Okay, yeah, I'm sure you hated it. And I mean, not forced. It was just like, he's like, hey, you know, what do you want to watch? I was like, I don't care. And he's like, all right, I'm going to catch up on this show or whatever. And I'm just like, God damn it, this sucks. <laughs> and he's just dying laughing. He's just oh, loving it. Oh, it's hilarious. You know? It's so funny. I hate it so bad. Anyway, <laughs> anything you want to say about these wonderful TV shows? No, I, I, I actually don't really have much to say. Um, I am not a huge TV fan, so... I don't even have like ringing endorsements for these shows. I think they're all fine. Uh, what we do in the shadows is particularly good. Uh, if you like comedy, uh, if you are joyless, definitely don't watch it. But I, I think that television has changed for me and the way I engage with television has changed. I think so many people love like long form dramas and uh, really intense high stakes television shows. And that's just not what I want. I, I, I am more apt to get that form of entertainment from uh, video games. And honestly, there's enough high stakes drama in just all of my day-to-day -day life with everything going on in the world that I want something light. And you can see four out of my five TV shows I listed were comedies. And then like even anime, my anime tends to tread a little bit lighter. So I I just think I use TV for more of a release, um, which is my, my why my list probably looks completely different from yours. Well, the only show that started in, in 2020 that I liked is The Wilds. And even that one, I, I didn't think I was going to like, but it 
I don't know. It impressed me. Uh, it's basically Lost, but with teenage girls. That's a good settling point. I mean, Lost is an all-timer for me. I, I think it contains the single best episode of a television show ever. So, What episode is that? Or wh- which one do you think it is? The I, I don't know if it's the end of season two or season three, but the moment where... Um, Yo, spoilers for someone who oh, okay. hasn't watched yeah, yeah. it in 10 years. I, I can't tell you. I'll tell you off air. No, no. <laughs> I, I I was saying like for for our our listeners right it's like well you you had you know ten twenty years to watch this or whatever yeah, but I don't I don't want to ruin it for them because this, this moment is seriously the most like impactful moment in television I can think of Dude, so no one's gonna watch it it's fine all right if you are gonna watch it just fast forward like a, a minute or something it, it's the one where you finally realize at the end of the episode it's been a flash forward from the island the entire time where the entire series up until that point has been flashbacks okay and yeah, the yeah. camera like pans to reveal that jack has been talking to kate the entire time sure i think that's the best episode of television ever yeah i don't know i i remember that not being that shocking for me but okay. even if you had figured it out just like the intensity of the emotions on display between the two of them, I think was on another level. Only other thing that comes close for me is the moment in the shield where Michael Chiklis confesses to all of his crimes. Okay. And maybe the, the scene in breaking bad where Walt like snaps. See, I, I think this is the difference in how we like consume media or what it means to us where you're talking about like, Oh, I want to stay on the lighter side. Cause like the, the drama stuff is too heavy. And for me, I, I view these things and I'm just like, eh, that, that's like a joke. It's like, it's like, I know that it's not real, you know? So like, I'm, uh, inter- I'm interested yeah, I have in the like, exact opposite response. Yeah. I'm interested in like the storytelling and the characters and like what's going to happen. But like, I'm not invested in the story in a way where it's like, oh, you know, this is like a real important thing that matters or whatever. It's like, at the end of it, I'm like, oh, is that interesting? Not like, oh, was that, you know, impactful? No, all all of my stuff is like very uh, intense emotional reactions and like thinking about how the characters are feeling in that moment and putting myself in their shoes. And it's exhausting. Like that's why I can't deal with this shit and I don't watch a ton of TV because the process of doing it is just like, it's as emotionally exhausting as living that situation for me. I just feel like I go through it. Okay. Yeah. That I'm, I'm mostly able to tune that out. That sounds delightful, by the way. It sounds like a very simple way to engage with media. Dude, it's all fake. Like, I I definitely, you know, cry during certain, like, TV shows and movies and stuff like that at certain moments. And, like, there there are some things that, you know, are generally, like, on the positive side that hit me in a certain way. But as far as, like, you know, bad things happening to people on shows or, like, you know, if, if they're feeling shitty or whatever it's like i'm just like what it's it's fake it doesn't matter see see there's no part of me that disassociates from that i'm entirely aware it's fake it's the knowledge that someone somewhere has probably experienced something very similar to this like especially when i'm watching things that are medieval or medieval adjacent and it's just like brutal and violent and people are dying all the time. I can't distance myself from the thought that like entire generations of humans live their life under those constraints and under like brutal oppression and and horrible living situations. And I just kind of extrapolate from there what their lives must have been like. And then I feel bad for them. And I'm like, I'm just going to go watch some cartoons instead. Yeah, I get that from real life. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, the, the real life stuff gets me. And then for this stuff, I'm just like, whatever, it's nonsense. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I have both, and then the fake stuff pushes me to think about the real stuff, and then it's yeah. doubly devastating. No, that's legit. I mean, this year has certainly changed like what sorts of shows I'm interested in watching and like what mm. I can stomach watching. So it has had like that sort of effect on me because it it does make me think about certain real life things, right? Yeah. And yeah, I, I would just rather not. Like there are times where I like, I'm like, oh yeah, this, this show sounds like a good idea. Cause like, you know, 2015 Jerry would like this. And then just like 10 minutes in, I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. One, one pandemic later in the show and you're like, eh, I'm not really feeling this right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I get it. I wonder if that's going to affect how I view things now. I hope not. <laughs> I hope I didn't just ruin all television for you. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, <laughs> you you cross enough like garbage things off of my list to do, and maybe I'll actually start getting some real stuff done. Okay. That's a good way of looking at it. Uh, for, for older stuff, like things that I, I did like that didn't necessarily debut this year. Trinkets was another hit that a friend of mine, Vishu, recommended. And that came out in 2019, but that's on Netflix. Very, very good. Also involves teenage girls, because I guess I'm I'm that demo. But Yeah, you and my wife have very similar tastes in television. Yeah, well, okay. So I think my range might be wider than hers, but we definitely watch the same trash. Yeah. But those trashy shows that I love are not making my top five list, you know, similarly to how you would not recommend vampire comedies to me. So. Right. Right. Anyway, two shows that I started watching this year only because of like pandemic and having time are The Expanse and Dark Matter. And I'm not a huge sci-fi person. And I had seen some episodes of Expanse uh, when I was living with roommates and Dark Matter, I didn't even know existed, but they're both sci-fi shows. They're they're both like A plus busted. Both are on my to watch list. I've seen a few episodes of The Expanse, really enjoyed it, uh, and I will come back to it at some point. Yeah, it, it took me a while to like get into it because it, it's it's this big world with like a lot of characters, a lot of moving pieces, and it was just like I don't even know what the hell's going on, you know. Uh, yep. but, but once I figured that out and like could actually keep up with what was happening in the story, I was like. Damn, this is just good. You know, like acting, acting superb, storytelling is excellent. Even after only like the four or five episodes I'm in, you can tell it's just on another level in terms of both thoughtfulness and performance. And uh, yeah, looking forward to getting back to that one. Yeah. And then uh, Dark Matter was like Firefly-esque as far as, you know, sci-fi stuff is concerned. And that was another good one. But uh, ends on a cliffhanger in season three and got canceled. Oh, that's a that's a big whammy. Yeah, so pretty brutal. And then the last one is a K-drama called Memories of the Alhambra. And that is also on Netflix. And you probably will not see it unless you specifically search for it. And then once you do, Netflix will only show you K-dramas. So <laughs> Okay, so be prepared. You've, you've been warned. If you want to make a new profile to watch the show, uh, it, it's, it's pretty dope. I was basically just told it was a K-drama. And... I would have watched it a lot sooner if they just told me that it was basically sword art online. Okay. Sounds neat. Uh, it's, it's not quite that, you know, but it's, it's, it's pretty similar and it's also just very good. The story was very good. The characters are good. The acting was good. And I don't know. I liked it. All right. You did enough to sell me on that one. I'm going to add uh, that to my list as well. Yeah. It's, it's like defined as a K drama, but if you just, instinctively think like, ooh, K-drama, I don't want to watch this. I mean, you're probably wrong because it's basically an anime. 
I, I don't have any pre-existing opinions on K-dramas. Not something I'm super experienced with. Uh, I've just been watching Sweet Home on Netflix, which I don't know if it's it's a Korean show. I don't know if it qualifies as a K-drama, but I, I Probably in general does. just just don't have a lot of experience with the genre. Yeah, I have a lot of stuff in my queue now uh, that I haven't gotten around to, but I will at some point, I swear. Now you're K-drama rich. I am. Netflix Netflix has no idea what to do with me at this point. They're like, it's <laughs> They're just, just like, gotta, just take it. Just throw shows be, at them. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's got to be an entire family on this account because none of this makes sense. <laughs> uh, albums. Some stuff came out this year. It was okay. The thing I listened to the most was an album by The Word Alive. And I don't know. They're just like some emo band. It's pretty dope though. I like it. Okay. That's it. You have one album, not, dude, not five. Dude, that's all I got. Uh, okay. So your, your range for your top five albums is, is pretty wide. And I, I think I could do like songs, like a top 10 songs list okay, or something, but it's like, it's very rare. It's not super rare, but like it has to be very specific bands that I basically know that I will enjoy everything that they put out for me to just be like, Oh, this entire album's good. So like mm. with a lot of other stuff, it's like maybe they have two or three good songs off an album or whatever. But uh, your top five album is our, our run the jewels, Emma, Ruth, Rundle, and thou Wayfarer, mm-hmm. Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. Yeah, definitely covering a lot of genres. I, I tend to listen to music very differently. I only listen to full albums for the most part. Well, so I do too, like when, when it comes out. But the, the pandemic was also weird because a lot of the bands that I like were just releasing singles, like yeah. a single every month or whatever. And it's like- For sure. This is pretty annoying, you know, as yeah, far as music, like- Music releases have definitely changed pretty dramatically uh, over the last few years and especially with this pandemic where you get a lot of piecemeal stuff for sure. I think it's good overall. I think it's it's going to be awesome once they figure out a way for me to sort my music and not have like 30 different albums by the same band in my history or whatever. Yeah, that that is what's missing right now. There's definitely an element of like the old CD rack that I miss a lot. Like I just want some way to sort the things I love in a visually appealing way that I can kind of flip through my catalog. Like the list of playlists on the side of my Spotify is not doing it for me. I want something better than that. Yep. Same. I don't know quite what that looks like, but someone figure that out for me, please. And thank you. Any, any thoughts to being like an album guy, like actually, actually buying physical albums. Like presently. Yeah. Like getting a record player. Because I know so many people who swear by their record players. Not as, a chance. Yeah, it doesn't work for me either. It's it's always felt strange. Like I, I get I obviously love collecting things and music was a big part of that for most of my life. Like I always had a, a large C D collection, but the freedom from that was tremendous. Like just having all music all the time is not something I want to get away for. But you understand, like this is a way to address what we're talking about. Like that's how you curate again and get like all your favorites and have some sense of ownership over these things. When I moved out of state for the first time, I was selling a lot of my possessions and I sold my CDs and the person in the record store specifically said, wow, you have a nice collection. And she was right. (laughs) She was spot on. She was spot on. And, uh, you know, what I did was just like, I, I burned all of those things onto, you know, some giant CDs and like, that was, that was what I had going forward. 
uh, right. because I couldn't move with all the CDs. And then yeah. as like, you know, iPods came out and then like the phones and everything got smaller and smaller and smaller. I love it, dude. I love having now Spotify and just like everything at my fingertips. And, you know, the thought of, well, a trying to maintain like a record player and collection in a house full of cats terrifies me, but sure. Having to like change the record and what, and uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's cool respect for those who want to do it, but that's not for me. Me neither. I don't know if we ever talked about this before, but one of the, I've made a lot of stupid purchases in my life. One of the things I spent no. a lot of money on. No, yeah. not you. Uh, one of the things I spent a lot of money on over many years was a massive DVD collection. Like I had like 700 DVDs. And then at some point I was like moving and I was like, well, done with this. Like Netflix is here. This will never matter again. I can find all this stuff. Okay. And I, I just got to let it all go. And obviously I got like you know, pennies on the dollar for oh, all yeah, of these dude. DVDs. I sold a little bit before they were just completely obsolete. So I got something for them. Yes. Yeah, same with my CD collection because the, you know, the fact that I had just burned them all meant that everyone else was doing it too. So right. Yeah, there, was, there was no reason to have them anymore. Yeah. So maybe I had like some B side, something or other that was hard to find or like some imported crap, you know, right. but yeah, they're just like, dude, I'm sorry. I'm going to give you like 50 bucks for 200 CDs or 300 yep. CDs, whatever. It's like, okay. And I'm sure you were happy to take it. Yeah. It was, I, it was like I a thing. I wasn't, well, but it was yeah. all you could get, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was definitely like a thing where you would walk into my apartments when I was younger and I just had like walls of DVDs and everyone loved it and thought it was so cool. And then it's like, oh, actually this is meaningless and worthless and nobody needs this. <laughs> it's just taking up room in your house. Yeah. I, so there was a point where I owned three movies. I think that was how my collection started. I was like, okay, well, like I want to watch these movies a second time or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, all right, these are these are like the three movies that I wanted to watch. I could not think of a fourth one for like years. And then it was like, okay, now I'm making a little bit more money. I can afford to make like extraneous purchases and maybe have things in my place for if I have guests over and they want something to watch or whatever. Obviously this predates Netflix and stuff like that. Yep. And so like I started kind of getting a, a collection together and there are certain things where it's like, I have, I have like the Ghibli collection and it's like, you can pry that from my cold dead hands. I sure. don't it doesn't matter that it's on HBO Max and I'm never going to watch them. You know, I'm I want it on a bookshelf because it's dope. Right. But yeah. all, like a lot of the other stuff I have, it's like just I could throw in the trash and just not care because how often do I get up to like put in a DVD? Come on. No, it's not happening. I, I presently own one Blu-ray. It is called Raccoon Nation and it is a story about uh, the raccoon's adaptation to cities. And I was unable to find it anywhere else, so I had to order it on Blu-ray. And that that's my only movie I have left. That is very on-brand and very believable. Yep. That's it. Are we on movies? Yeah, we're on movies. So your movie list was you only watch movies on airplanes, so you didn't see a movie released this year. Wild. Yep. I uh, just didn't, didn't get one. I looked at the movies that were released in 2020, and I just put none on my list. I watched a lot of them but there's nothing that would make a top five. Is this like TV surpassing movies in a lot of ways? I mean, I think that continues to be reflected, but obviously it, like kind of, I mean, it's not like, sure there, if we, you want to do like a more of a top five TV shows type of thing where it's like, you know, these long running like syndicated TV shows, it's like, okay, 
maybe TV is getting better, but like if you look at you know the TV shows that came out in 2020, you know both my lists are basically the same, right? It's like eh, nothing really happened this year, and there's a lot of reasons for that, obviously, right? But right, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's it's rare for me to see a movie and be like, this is the best thing ever. It's normally just like, you know, okay, that was a B plus or a D minus. Hmm. Or in the case of Wonder Woman 1984, hard F. Did not watch it. Don't. Man, am I hearing bad things about Don't. that movie. It's awful. Not a problem. I can skip that one. And it's it's not even awful. It's like also very problematic, which is okay. kind of a shock, but whatever. Uh, Off yeah, it. Terrible movie. There's there's some stuff I watched where I was like, eh, that was not god awful, I guess, but that's it. Yeah, tough year for movies. See if they rebound in 2021. I guess I skip movies to go to albums. That's okay. You talk yeah, about these bad. things as you want, Gerald. Yeah, whatever. Okay, uh, books. Yours <laughs> is very specifically top five books I read this year. Yeah. I mean, I just don't engage with books the way I engage with a lot of other stuff where I'm like constantly looking for books that came out this year. I, I have a huge, basically infinite backlog of books. And if something catches my attention, I'm going to read it, whether it came out this year or not. Okay, your number five, Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden by Wizards of the Coast. Was that good? I love reading D&D books. I've never played D&D. Okay. I just read the books. In particular, the adventures, like the the full self-contained adventures are my favorite part. Mm -hmm. I think this particular one did better world building than anything else. Now, it's so weird because I'm basically not the intended audience. Like I'm not using them as these detailed guidebooks. So I think my entire basis for ranking them is totally different than someone who engages with them as they're intended. But in terms of like, this was my favorite D&D book I read this year. It, it was. And it, I, I can't really tell you exactly why. Just the world really spoke to me. And it seemed like if I ever were to play it, the adventure was very well set up. Cool. Uh, number four, The End of Policing by Alex S. Is it Vitale? I don't know. I don't know how it's pronounced. This one, it, it came in a moment where basically the state of the world had me so angry and just looking for ways to talk about and facilitate change that I, I'm usually very much a fiction fantasy reader and this was a two month period where I really stepped away from that. I was just reading a lot of, you know, I guess you would say sociological books, um, more politically leaning books. And I, I think this one was critical in terms of reinforcing the idea that so much of our world is shaped by inertia and the systems that we see as indisposable or indispensable are oftentimes far newer and far less essential than we immediately perceive them to be. And so when, like everyone else, when I first heard about the idea of police abolitionism, that did not seem like a tenable idea to me. It always seemed to me like there had to be something there. It just can't, the world can't work that way. Dude, uh, can we just do an entire podcast explaining why this is okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we we definitely can. I don't know how much uh, it would get traction. I hope I hope it would get a lot of traction. But this book was vital in just reminding me that things do not have to be the way they are. We accept far too much as fact and just certainty, and especially when it comes to the police presence in our lives. I I still don't know if I am a 
strict abolitionist. I am certainly into extremely, extremely aggressive defunding of the police state. And eventual abolition seems like the correct way to go. I I don't know that it's something that can happen overnight, but this book doesn't propose that. It is measured in its approach. It lays out why things do not have to be the way they are and really did a nice job of making all these arguments and letting me understand why continuing to exist under the system of oppression is not a certainty. So a lot of like, you know, just tweets and like, I don't know, social media type stuff I saw or like had people respond to me with this year were dressed up versions of like, well, that's how things are. That's how they should stay. It's like, "Mm, no, actually, (laughs) as it turns out, there's a lot of knobs to turn, right? There's a lot of different ways you can go about doing this. And I might be, you know, further in the camp of like abolishing police or whatever. But like you said, there it's not just overnight, get rid of them all. It's like, no, you get other different like systems and programs in place to be able to help people. It's like a lot of the things that police shouldn't be doing, like responding to mental health crises and things of that nature. Right. And who is, who is going to arrest murderers? Well, I still think that there should be like detectives or whatever, you know, people who do solve crimes. Right. But whenever you're like, Oh, I'm getting robbed. Like, Call 911. It's like, dude, they're not going to help you. They don't have enough time right. to get there. Until they invent teleporters, you're you're just kind of on your own. And then they'll take your statement afterwards. It's like, that could be anyone. Yeah, uh, that's, that's so much of it. I, I think your statement was spot on. Uh, the human existence is not at its end state. We will find better ways to do this. And to me, it just makes the, the most sense if you... How do you prevent crime? You make people's lives better. You put them in a position where they want to care for their community and they are safe and not in need and have appropriate social safety nets and everyone is cared for. And then I, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know how far I want to go into this because it seems so patently obvious to me that if you aren't taking care of your people, Crime is the only answer. Like, you don't just go die if you're hungry. You go steal some food. I will go steal food if I'm hungry. I promise you that. Yeah. Uh, the, the system is is working as intended. Yes. For, for how it was built. And correct. Yeah. You know, you know who are the people who are like you know, committing crimes of like theft and violence and stuff like that? It is rich pe- people. No, no, it's not. Shocker, right? It is poor folks and systems are designed to keep like people of color in the lower income brackets and stuff like that. And it's like, it, it all is perpetuating in on itself. You see, I I disagree with you there because (laughs) so rich people do it in a fashion that it's so large scale that it's almost imperceptible. The actions of a a poor person might take a life. The actions of a rich person can take millions of lives and damage the planet, right? So it's like, we've just adjusted our scope so dramatically to only focus on those small acts. Okay, so I was talking specifically about like direct crime, right? Like I stab you, I shoot you to take your money so I can feed my family, right? Yes. Not the the, the stuff that you're talking about where it's like, well, I I wasn't holding a gun, you know, but it's like, yeah, I was responsible for the deaths of thousands of people. It's like, yeah, that is the same shit. Absolutely. It's obviously way worse too. But that is not the the type of crime that I'm talking about because we're talking about like the type of things that people are scared of 
if police go away. Yeah, we're talking about street policing for the most part. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. But yeah, man, like I, I think the the rich people that wake up in the morning, they're like, all right, I'm gonna commit crimes. You know, it's like they they are being greedy. And then the the poor folks that wake up are usually doing it to get ahead for, for their family. Yeah, it's not even get ahead. Yep. It's like break even, maybe, right? Yep. Exactly. So, People don't wake up with like a pretty normal, healthy life situation if they're not, you know, suffering some sort of mental illness or whatever, like something that they need help with. Like a normal person does not wake up and just be like, I'm going to kill someone. That, that just doesn't happen. Or I'm going to rob this bank or whatever. So think about that. Books I read this year, like you and movie. Oh, wait. Okay. Let me, let me say this quick. Uh, like you in movies, I basically didn't read anything this year. Okay. I normally read or listen to books when I travel. Uh, your number three, The Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. I started last year and maybe did a little bit this year, but it is very good. I've not finished. Now that you say that, I think I might've read this book last year as well. Yeah. Cause you recommended it to me. Yeah. So, well, I don't know when you finished it, right? Yeah. I'm not sure. Either. I read it very quickly. Very, very good book. Yeah. Also a, a very good follow on Twitter. Yep. Your number two, Dune by Frank Herbert. The most uneven book you could ever possibly read. The The highs are so unbelievably high and the lows are so unbelievably low. Um, I, I am still glad I read it after all this time. It was an excellent book in many ways, but certainly there's some flaws. And as the series continues, they only get more and more pronounced. But after all this time, I am glad I finally sat down and got through it. And your number one is Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. Yeah. So the the catch line everyone uses to like sell this book is uh, lesbian necromancers in space, which is accurate, but also sells the book way short. Not to say that isn't awesome. Like that certainly is a really good selling point. But the depth of characters contained in this book is not like anything else in fantasy. The characters feel more genuine to me, more real, and the storytelling is breathtaking in a lot of instances. It's simultaneously beautiful and grimy and uh, unique. Like the world that's been built is just unlike anything else I've read. Uh, so this book really stood out to me this year for sure. And I believe she is a fairly young author. I think Gideon was one of the first books she ever published. Uh, so certainly like a huge amount of room for growth in an already unbelievable skill set. That That is really cool because I, yeah. I can't imagine being, you know, that talented at like, you know, understanding people to be able to write characters with depth at a young age. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know how old she is actually. I just know that I, I wasn't familiar with her work before this. Um, but but still, it doesn't matter what age she is writing this stuff at. The level of understanding she's bringing to just the real motivations of humans and how they work, I think, is very special, especially in the fantasy genre, where I think that's glossed over a lot of the time. Like, how many people have you followed on epic quests where you don't feel like you actually know that person at all? And the first thing that comes to my mind is the Wheel of Time series, which I, I didn't finish because I just kind of lost interest in. But it never felt like the characters actually solidified for me. They just felt like walking tropes, whereas this book was very different in its approach. Uh, she is 35. 
Okay. And so, slightly younger than I am, but uh, you know, around. Uh, first novel published in 2019. Yeah. So that is, that would be this which book, is, which is Gideon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I think I had this on my wish list because of you, and now with the tagline, I'm more interested. Yeah, Ta- it's tagline a hell of and, a tagline. Tagline and description, I'm more interested. Yeah, but it's tag- tagline, tagline first. The the book the book delivers on that for sure. Yeah, man, I've I've been like doing you know writing stuff for a while. Like, granted, I wasn't. Uh, you know, trying to make my profession writing uh, novels or anything like that. But it's like, it's something that's interesting to me. Right. And it's like, I am self-aware enough to know how bad I would mess it up almost certainly. That's what, that's what dissuades me all the time. At some point when I was younger, I thought I would be an author. Like that was always the route I saw myself going. Then as I got older, I'm like, I'm not good enough to do this. So I'll, I'll just find something else to do. I think that in reality, the self-awareness is good, but it probably shouldn't stop us from doing things that we could grow at. Like there's nothing you're good at the first time you do it. And you certainly have capability for improvement. So we'll see if at some point in my life, I I turn the corner and I'm able to maybe finally produce that book that I always thought I would make, but I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. It's also kind of ridiculous because of how many revisions actual authors go through when they release their books, right? And, right. you know, the, the thought of like it being bad stops you from writing the first thing. It's like, no, you're supposed to put out like a pile of crap, basically like an outline and then make revisions from there. Like that, that is, fixed. that yeah. is a process that works. No, that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, so, you know, to, to that end, it's like, okay, you know, maybe I'll be thinking about things that I could potentially write about and kick those ideas around in my head. And maybe if something sticks or seems interesting enough, like, yeah, maybe I'll go forward with it. But you know, if, if you know how I go about like building decks, it's pretty much the same where it's like, I'm good at taking pieces of everyone else's ideas. Right. Whereas the actual genuine unique ideas don't necessarily form in my head. So I don't even necessarily think that I have the capability of doing that. You could be a comic writer and take on an already established character. Yeah, almost certainly. You could write in a existing universe. You could write in the Star Wars universe, right? Like, just because that's not where your skill set lies doesn't mean you don't have anything to offer to the no, process. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, I was, you know, in, in talking about like publishing our own novels or whatever. It's like that's the thing that I think about a lot, and I, I think it would mean less to me if I was just like picking up the reins on someone else's creation. Sure. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Uh, the the thing I'm listening to right now is the fourth way of Kings book by Brandon Sanderson. And if, if you like fantasy, his stuff is good. I mean, that's basically all I can say about it. Um, I'm not super far into it, maybe like a quarter. And I hope that I will finish it. But basically what I've been doing is turning the volume down when I play Genshin and trying to simultaneously listen to a book and play a video game. And that's how I'd be productive. Is that working for you thus far? There are there are definitely moments where I'm just like, ah, oh, God, I blanked out for a minute. <laughs> what what yeah. happened? You know? Yeah, I can't do that. Even even podcasts, I like the podcasts I do listen to. I generally demand complete concentration. Like, I can't play a video game while I'm listening to a podcast. I I would run and listen to podcasts. That was always like my activity I could do during it. Um, but anything else, I I have to like really focus. Otherwise, I just find myself zoned out at some point. Well, that's the problem with like ADHD brains. 
is that yeah. I am I can't focus on one thing, so I need to try and focus on two, but we're not designed or to you do can't that. focus on them either. Yeah. <laughs> so you just never focus on anything. Uh I mean, so like there are instances of Genshin where it's like I am running around mining ores or whatever, and that's what I do every three days or something. Uh so doing that sort of like mindless stuff allows me to progress in the game while also doing this thing hmm. and trying to focus on Okay, it. yeah, that's a good that's a good use for it. Yep. Uh, and I have I have one last list that you didn't have, and that is okay. That is my least favorite cards. Oh, uh, I like it. Send send it out with some shade, dude. Can you can you guess what might be on my uh, list? I I hope. Okay, the the one slam dunk to me is Uro. If Uro is not in your oh, list, oh sorry then... the the top the top and bottom cards are not cards that have been banned because op. Okay. Because other my least favorite cards, it would be a long list. It would be all the banned cards. Right. So so there's no banned cards on this list, you're saying? Correct. That makes it way harder. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think back of like conversations we've had and just cards that you despised and really hated. Uh, I think there's only one that you could realistically guess. There's there's one that came out in 2019, which is Castle Vantress, which you should obviously guess. But <laughs> Okay, it, it, yeah, that's that would be an obvious one. Yeah, unfortunately... Eldraine was technically 2019, so yeah. Uh, this is this is only three cards deep, and I, I I guess I'll start with this one. We can say it's unofficial number three. I didn't actually list them. Elder Gargaroth. Huh? Why so much hatred for the Gargaroth? This is yet another instance of green getting everything. It really does do a lot of stuff, doesn't it? And so. If you want to give green like Ravnus Baloth or even Thragtusk or whatever, you know, some big thing that gains life that you use as a way to stop Agridex, cool. But this is uh, Baneslayer Angel plus a lot of the time and people are playing it in decks where, you know, like green is their light splash or whatever because it is so powerful and the colors that they're in would not give you that sort of thing. And it's even creeped up into main decks at various points. And it's just like, come on, why does green also get like the sideboard haymaker? It is hilarious that it's in the same set as Baneslayer Angel and just like completely laughs Baneslayer Angel out of the building. Yeah. So I have played this in a lot of my decks and it's like, oh yeah, it's nice that this card exists so I can just hammer aggro decks without even thinking about it. And it's like, well, that's cool for me as the player where I get to win. But from like a game design standpoint, I don't like it so much. Yeah, it has not been fun to be on the aggro side of those matchups this year. And granted, I think there there were maybe certain things that aggro could have done to respect this card a little bit more. But regardless, green should not get everything. Okay. And even if this was just giant lifelink, you know, trample, make three threes, whatever, but it just also draws you cards too, which is so stupid. We like Mm -hmm. some of the options are supposed to be bad in a certain situation, right? Yeah. There's a lot of cake and eating it too with Elder Gargaroth for sure. Yeah. Uh, It also just like bricks a bunch of things. If you want to be like, oh, this should be like the best threat that green has. Cool. Don't make it bigger than Baneslayer. Don't make it bigger than Terror of the Peaks, like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It can't also be the best defensive card, the best source of card advantage. (laughs) Like all those things combined are a little problematic. 
Uh, another card I I don't want to say hate, but it's definitely least favorite cards that's on that list is Agonizing Remorse. Huh. I, I don't hate this card at all. Please, please tell me why you hate it. This card saw a decent amount of play, and I think the trajectory of things was people would be like, oh, yeah, we could play this. We want like a little disruption, maybe uh, something to hedge against a few different strategies, and then you slowly cut them from your list because they're very bad. And the reason they're bad is that they're just like a, a clunky, not great version of this effect that makes you feel sad when you cast it a lot of the time and doesn't it like it, it tricks you into playing it and doesn't translate into a better win rate. So I argue that things like treacherous blessing are good and this is bad. The reason this is pretty bad is that it's not like, Oh, this card or this strategy doesn't work. I guess I should try something else. It's like you are just tricked into paying cards that are overcosted. And you're just like, well, this effect is supposed to be good. Like, you don't understand why it's causing you to lose games, but it is. Did you feel similarly about Thought Erasure? Uh, so I was initially very skeptical of Thought Erasure, which you might remember. And I, I ended up liking it a decent amount. Some of it was because the format actually, like, catered to it a little bit, where it didn't feel like it was, you know, half a mana too expensive, the surveil was also certainly more reasonable than like going after their graveyard. Like if you ever cast remorse and like had to exile a card from their graveyard, like that's even yeah, worse. Right. Yeah. So yeah, but like thought erasure was like, okay, well I really need to take your Teferi or your Narset or whatever. And part of the problem with that, I guess is the nature of the threats in the format and they're not being a whole lot of good twos hero of precinct one wanted you to play gold cards. Like there was a lot of stuff where it was like, okay, this is, this is fine. This is good enough. And I eventually came around to it, not because Thought Erasure is a good card, but because it fit the format. And Remorse doesn't do that. So I, I don't have the same level of distaste for this card as you do. I will say the discordance between effects like this continually getting worse and everything else in the game continually getting better. It's not good. Like it, it, It's weird. It, it's certainly very, very... It's leaning in favor of new play patterns that I don't love. That's that's what I'll say about it. And the fact that you have to play something like this over something like I don't, I Thoughtseize is too good for sure. But like, does this card have to lose you a life, or does it have to specifically cost two? Is there a way to make this card cost one? I mean, there there's some way to get closer to a card that is meaningful in comparison to other cards that exist in the format around it, as opposed to just being like, if you want this thing, you're going to do it at a power rate that's way worse than what's currently going on in Magic. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because you you look at this card specifically, and it's like, well, it's not it's not a one-mana card, but two-mana, yeah. it's, it's double the amount of mana, right? And you're not getting your full mana's worth for the card, but you also don't really want to make it all upside necessarily because then maybe it becomes a focal point of what the format's about and yeah. you don't necessarily want that too so it's interesting i actually think magic is hurting a little bit by not being able to make things cost one and a half mana or two and a half mana like there's this weird tension between how hard cards are expected to scale as they move up and you wish you could reclaim some more space so I think Echo is a bad mechanic, but like this card being one and having some kind of Echo cost on the next turn 
is what it really needs to do. Like it, it needs some way to not cost one, but it is completely ineffective at two. So how do you possibly thread that needle? Yeah, no, that's legit. And you know, like like I said earlier, there's a lot of knobs on all these things, right? It's it's not it's not as simple as like, well, it can't cost one, so I guess it has to cost two. It's like, no, if you want to make this effect, there are there are ways that you can have it effectively cost two and still be fine. You know, like maybe you want to curve out in the early turns and also play like a three drop and this on turn four and then pay another mana on on turn five. And that's how you're paying your two mana, but you're still getting the effect that you want, you know? And Drill Bit was a card that I, I don't know, just attempted to popularize and failed, right? But I thought it did a much better job of of this card and granted they finding the sweet spot yeah they kind of go in different decks or whatever but it's like even even in the the decks where you're playing like cat oven or a bunch of like black one drops people were still playing remorse instead of drill bit and it's like why because you see that like two is less than three and it's like i see that one is less than two you know and i don't want to be casting this on turn two but like people are just like oh it's it's safe and you you just get tricked into playing it because it exists and if if Drillbit exi- is existed and this card didn't, like maybe it would have been fine. You know, I, mm. I wouldn't have been tilted. People wouldn't have gotten tricked into playing it. Maybe they would have played Drillbit and had it had had it been correct. But yeah, this this card is just kind of a, a tilter for me because I think it's I think it's bad. And people keep tricking themselves into playing it, and they're like kind of not responsible for that, especially when it's the only effect like this that's available. It's like well, you kind of have to play it even though it's contributing to you losing. Yeah, I feel that. Similarly, the number one card that I dislike of 2020 is Omen of the Sea. And granted, you can make a lot of Urian arguments, and I will happily play four of this card in my Urian decks. But when you're talking about, you know, the Teamerec decks that started after this set came out, all played four of this card. What happened? At the end, they played zero. People are playing this in Modern right? And it's like, come on. It, it looks appealing. It's not, I assure you. On on its face, without any sort of Urian shenanigans to abuse it, this is overpaying for your effect. Agree. This this made it into way too many decks that didn't have Urian, and I, I never quite understood why. Uh, with Urian, a powerhouse, but I, I don't think it has any purpose outside of that. So, I don't know... Uh, I mean, the Omen cycle as a whole was like, okay, here are these like kind of expensive enchantments that do their their spells right for limited, but they do enchantment things to go with the enchantment synergies. So that's cool. You had to make constellation work in limited, and these were a good shot at doing that. And they also kind of paid you if they were just like sitting in play, they gave you something to do mm-hmm. with your mana in the late game. So for limited cards, they're great. But then people are just like, well, it's, it's preordain, right? It's the same text. That card was busted. It's like, oh, people didn't play preordain for like the first two years. It was legal. So that was a huge mistake. Yes. But that is definitely something that happened. I, I just think like so much of this, when you know, Urian is coming down the pipeline, how many ways do you need to pay off that card? And well, it's I'm sure a, we're going to be going back to it with the preview cards that we see in the coming weeks. So it's entirely possible that they were like, "Oh no, this is just limited filler. We don't have to worry about it." You know. Uh, also, sure. I, I guess people played preordain right away. It was like ponder the one that really took a while to catch on. Uh, there was definitely preordain resistors yes. for a long time as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, if if it were 2019, 
you know, Castle Vantress would be number one, obviously. It's it's similar to Omen and Remorse in a lot of ways, uh, where it's a low-ish opportunity cost, but it does punish you and it's expensive and basically accomplishes nothing. And then Gargaroth is just like kind of design mistake. And if this were a card that was part of Green's identity in like 2005, I'd be like, okay, this is cool, you know, but then don't give Green like Tireless Tracker and all that stuff. Uh, mm. but, but right now on top of everything else, it's, it's just too much. And it's another thing in a long line of, I don't want to say mistakes, but you know, things that ended up not being great. I think that's going to go down as 2020's tagline. It's just too much. <laughs> it's, it's all just too much. It's all been too much. Uh, I, I am not one of the people who is optimistic that things just magically change as 2021 comes, but man, am I hoping we make some progress over the coming months. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a chance for like a fresh start and like people like having like the, the clear checkpoint in everything. It's like, you know, why is it sure. January 1st rather than like last week or whatever, who knows? Um, but things kind of look up, you know, there's maybe things to, to look forward to, not look forward to, but like where it's like, Oh, maybe this won't get worse. But yeah, to, <laughs> to, to cap off like an obviously already really shitty year, I found out yesterday that my friend's dog passed away. Uh, it's like, that's this, awful. yeah, this dog they had for forever. And, uh, her, her words was exactly like, you know, feels like we, we lost a limb basically. And I, I get that. I mean, I, I spent a decent amount of time with this dog. I love this dog too. Obviously not like there's no way I could love the dog more than they did or whatever, but it's just like, come on, we were almost there to the new year. And like this, right. this crap keeps happening. It's just well, absurd, I, man. I have, as we speak right now, I have about four hours of this year left. You have less than an hour of this year. Yeah, I mean, um, there's people setting off fireworks that is scaring the crap out of my cats, so it's already not great. But <laughs> just set in and out the exact same way it came in, terribly. Um, but here's hoping 2021 brings us, all of our listeners, everyone out there, a uh, awesome, fantastic, beautiful new year. And thank you, everyone, so much for sticking with us through this year. I, I mean, honestly. It, it still kind of baffles me that everyone shows up and listens to us every week because the uncertainty surrounding magic has to have seeped into so many of your lives. Uh, but you still come and you listen to us talk anyway, especially like weeks like this where we just kind of talk about some nonsense for a while and you're still here listening. And I am uh, incredibly thankful for that and have been throughout 2020 and will be throughout 2021. Same uh, by like an unbelievable amount and looking at it you know, my, my logical brain in March, April, I was like, ah, you know, maybe our, if, if like the pandemic is handled poorly, right. And vaccines don't magically appear. It's like, maybe our podcast is dead by the end of the year because, you know, there's no reason for people to really care about magic or whatever, but some combination of people caring about magic a little bit, maybe caring about us a little bit, uh, maybe inertia, whatever it is. I, I don't care. I'm happy that we get to keep doing this like beyond happy because this Same. is, you know, one of the, the few things that I get to do on the weekly that resembles like a schedule and being normal and stuff. So this helps. Yeah, this a lot. is how we figure out what day of the week it is. <laughs> well <laughs> we have to line up our schedules. Not yeah, not exactly. I mean, we were pretty good about recording on Wednesday, now we're recording on Thursdays. So like, yeah, what are days really? Look, tomorrow's a new year. Who knows what will happen then? Maybe we'll be back on the Wednesday schedule. Maybe. Maybe we'll see. Best game.
luck.